Well, welcome to our third season of Knowledge Cast. If you're a regular listener, we're certainly glad to have you back. And if you're a first time listener, uh, we hope you enjoy today's podcast and you'll come back and join us next week. We've got a great list of guests this fall and you can read about them by going to jackwwilliams.com and just scroll down to the podcast section. Well, today we've got a dynamic duo as our guests. Uh, joining us today are Tommy Jones, the head football coach at Cherokee Bluff High School, and his brother, Philip Jones, the head football coach at Brookwood High School. Tommy played football and graduated from Furman University and was a head coach at uh, Decula High School before moving over to start the Cherokee Buff uh, program. And Philip played football and graduated from South Carolina and was a head coach at Banks County before returning to Brookwood and then later being named uh, head coach a few years later. I've known the, the Jones family all my life. Their, their granddad was our team physician at Decatur High School, uh, where I attended and played sports. Their dad was a teammate of mine at Decatur, and their mom was a cheerleader at Decatur. So uh, the Jones family and the Williams family go back a long ways. Guys, it's great to have you on our podcast. Yeah, thank Thanks you, Jack, for having, for having us. Jack. We're really excited. Well, uh, it, we'll do a little dancing here with two guys, but I'm going to try to direct the questions at one of you so uh, we won't be getting duplicate answers, but I'm, I'm excited to get started. Tommy, I'm going to start with you. Your, your dad, as I mentioned, uh, who played with me, was a longtime, very successful uh, assistant football coach and strength and conditioning coach. How much did your dad's experience uh, as a football coach influence you going into that profession? Yeah, I think it probably had uh, was the biggest factor uh, of anything. Uh, I can't remember really uh, growing up wanting to do anything else outside of coaching. Uh, my heroes when I was growing up were, I mean, I could rattle off a list of names from uh, Jay Nix to Vince Guthrie to Brad White. I mean, guys that, that dad coached. Uh, I wanted to be like those guys one day. And then uh, I had a chance to, uh, to firsthand uh, you know, be a part of, of what dad was doing. He was always so good about having uh, his kids involved in the football program and getting to see what he did on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, so uh, he made it something that was very attractive and, and, and something I know that, that I definitely wanted to do. I tell people all the time that some of the best coaching clinics I ever went to were were, uh, were, were sitting in the corner of a coach's office listening to dad and coach Knight or dad and coach Hunter or, or people like that uh, just talk football. And um, even as a kid, and uh, in a lot of ways, you picked up on a lot of those things, uh, maybe through osmosis or, or you, you remember those conversations. And uh, But just uh, seeing how he was able to do it, seeing how he was able to impact so many lives. And, and uh, he made the profession look very attractive. And it was something that, that uh, from the very beginning, I think I wanted to do. Well, you had a, a great model to follow. Philip, you followed Tommy. Uh, did you consider any other careers uh, other than coaching or were you – totally focused on being the third Jones in the coaching tree. I wasn't so set on it as they were. I think I was a little bit more of a, of a, uh, um, you know, kind of the guy who, who had to come go around the block a time or two before he came back to coaching. I, um, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I thought ministry for a while in my older high school years. And once I got into college, I, you know, I considered the same kind of thing and, um, also considered law and some other things. And I got out and got into coaching almost by default because I also considered strength coaching as well. 
Um, and I got into high school coaching almost by default because it was kind of the path of least resistance when I first um, left college. And it took me really going to two years of seminary. I went to two years of, of seminary in 05 and 06 at Reform Seminary in Atlanta and Orlando. Um, and got back um, at Walton High School and was got on staff with Ed Dudley. And that's really what it took to kind of make coaching mine, so to speak. And, um, and so once I kind of returned from that, I never necessarily went to seminary to be a vocational minister. I just went to learn and to, and to kind of just, you know, I guess it was kind of a mid twenties identity crisis in a way. And so came back to coaching and, uh, was never more sure of it than when I did come back. And that was, you know, about eight, 17, 18 years ago. So it was a, a great decision. And, and, um, and I've always drawn, on my influences and, you know, I would count my dad as number one, but I count Tommy as number two, um, just him going through and, you know, I've followed his footsteps in, in, in better part in terms of um, going off to play football in the state of South Carolina and being an assistant in a Gwinnett County school and then being the head coach at a small North Georgia school and coming back to Gwinnett to be a head coach. And so, um, so we've, we've kind of walked lock, lockstep in a lot of ways. And so, so both of them have been huge mentors and influences for me and uh, probably the best you could have. So, Well, that's two good ones. Well, you know, when a son gets an opportunity to, to play for their dad, it, it has some benefits and it also has some challenges. Tommy, what, what did you think were some of the benefits of playing for your dad? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you gave me this question here, Jack. Uh, I appreciate the benefits piece of it. Yeah, I mean, I think there are uh, obviously a, a ton of benefits when it comes to to playing for your dad. And I think part of part of these are, are what we mentioned already. I mean, they're the ideas that hey, you get to you get to grow up around the game. And I think when that happens, you either run to it or, or you run away from it. And when you run to it, um, you know, you you learn more and more about it. You understand uh, terminology. You understand lingo. I mean, heck, Philip and I laugh all the time because we probably had the only basement in America when we were in high school uh, that he was able to elevate the roof in one part just to put a squat rack in because it was important. <laughs> we were getting our, it was important that we were getting our squats in after baseball practice or uh, if we didn't able to get all of our lifts in during the day. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, like I said earlier, he made it extremely attractive. And, and there are some obvious challenges when you when you have an opportunity to play for your dad. But I think the benefits uh, in my mind, anyway, they they really far outweigh those because you're around the game. Uh, you cultivate a real love for it, um, a desire to play it. Uh, you're constantly um, integrated with, uh, you know, role models. And, and, and you hear stories of people that have done it right. And, and uh, probably the only negative is, is, is when you grow up as a coach's kid, uh, sometimes you don't have a whole lot of other life appreciable skills outside of the game of football itself. And, uh, and, and even more than that, you know, you don't develop a ton of hobbies or anything. You're just so engrossed with what it takes to be successful in that game. And you understand because it's been modeled before you uh, over and over again. Well, Philip, what about some of the challenges that uh, came along with that? Well, the challenges, I guess, I mean, as any coach's son, the challenges could be that, you know, the the presumption of favoritism among other people. And dad was always, you know, well, dad, first of all, such a man of integrity that nobody necessarily presumed him of much favoritism to begin with because he was, because uh, of his, his character preceded himself. And then also, you know, he would be harder on Tommy and I than, than anybody else. Um, 
so that was a challenge. But um, I think the challenge for me uh, came after playing for dad. I mean, I thought it was I had a had an incredible career playing for dad and um, in football and in baseball. And, you know, it's it's one of those things you kind of grow up in the community and then you grow up playing for him and you take it for granted a little bit, because I know when I went to college, you know, I was at South Carolina for a few months and just realized, like, you know, the type of relationship that I had with the coaches on at South Carolina and really at any college campus would be nothing like what I had in high school, not only with dad, but the other men on that staff that just cared so deeply for kids and um, prioritized relationships over everything else. And um, and so you just kind of take that for granted. And you assume that all coaches are that way. And right. the challenges for me, at least, was to when I when I played for coaches that didn't necessarily have the same heart and the same character and the same intentions that it was really hard for me. Um, and so um, so that was that was uh, that was a huge uh, challenge for me to overcome, I think. And uh, anyway, but I'm just like Tommy said, I'm just so thankful to be raised the way I was raised and around the men I was able to be raised in. And um, and uh, just so just so thankful for the life we were able to have. Um, and so growing up and. You know, I guess with dad, especially, you know, you, 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 it's one of those things where I guess growing for growing up around him, we knew we loved him and we knew what kind of man he was. But then when you get a little bit older and then you graduate from college and you get back in the profession and then you truly learn to appreciate just how respected, how loved um, he was broadly across the whole state of Georgia and even beyond that for everything he was able to do. But he wasn't the kind of man to ever um to, to kind of ever to you know never had an ego and never wanted to toot his own horn but yeah um, he never he never did any self-promoting but uh, his reputation his reputation took care of that philip let me stay with you for a minute uh, you you assume the the head coaching position at brookwood which has uh, been a long long time top tier program in gwinnett county and the state what was your strategy when you took over the program knowing its history and the expectations there? Well, I think that um, it, it, it was a real, it was a, it was a tough task because the, the, um, you know, it's a kind of a, to answer this delicately, I guess, is when I, the, the program had gotten to be in a little bit of a tough spot the last year or two that coach Cruz was the head coach. Um, and, um, and so it was kind of my job or at least my philosophy to preserve some of the most important traditions that Brookwood had had. And, and to, I think I represented that tradition in a lot of ways with them hiring me, but also I think I represented a, um, you know, there was a chance there cause they had been, they had been doing things the same way at Brookwood for all of coach Hunter's tenure and all of coach Cruz's tenure, which was almost 30 years. And so there was some things that needed to be changed. Um, I guess the, you know, the most dangerous six words in civilization as we've always done it that way. And so it was kind of tasked upon me to to bring about some change and to refresh things while still holding on to the important traditions that Brookwood was. And so that's what I've attempted to do over the past, I'm going into my eighth year as the head coach and uh, made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, done some good things, made some mistakes and hopefully every year of, you know, and, gotten a little bit better as um, as I've attempted to, to do those things and to make, you know, just hope we can 
you know, in the long run, whenever my time's up at Brookwood, just hope I can say it, it was, it was better than I found it. But, um, well, I, I applaud your efforts. Uh, you know, Brookwood is back and, uh, it's, uh, directly related to your, uh, your tenure there. Um, Tommy, on the other hand, you left an established program at, uh, as a head coach at Acula to become the very first football coach at a new school, Cherokee, uh, bluff. Talk about the process that you used uh, those first couple years that ended up putting uh, Cherokee Bluff uh, contending for championships as early as your third year and every year since then. Yeah, we've been fortunate uh, at our place to to find some good favor uh, earlier than later. Uh, and, and there's a number of factors uh, that attribute to that. Uh, let me first of all say that uh, I've loved my time everywhere I've coached. I think Decula was an outstanding uh, spot. I love the tradition that that, that Decula had, and uh, it was a really neat neat place to coach. Great school, have have tons of great friendships and relationships there. Uh, never really sought this idea of, of going to a new school. Uh, let me rephrase that. Never really thought about leaving uh, Decula, um, but always had this this idea that hey, uh, I would love to start a new school. I'm, the way I'm wired is is kind of. Uh, as a, as a builder, uh, I enjoy the building process uh, more than anything else. Uh, and so when the athletic director, Kenny Hill, uh, called me and asked me if I'd be willing to come talk to him, uh, it was something that I was willing to listen because I'd had some friends and some peers that had, had gone through the process of opening a new school. Uh, Shan Jarvis, who you know did it at Mill Creek, and Andy Dyer are, are two of my best friends in this profession. And you just remember them telling stories about how those things went. Uh, it was harder than I could ever imagine. Uh, I would be quick to say that. I had no idea uh, some of the questions that you would get, you know, when you're talking about starting, building a staff from scratch, you're talking about starting traditions from scratch, you're talking about starting a touchdown club from scratch, you're talking about the first practice, the first everything uh, that you have an opportunity to do. So uh, energy uh, is a big part of that, excitement. Uh, while it's the hardest thing I've ever done, I'll also say it's probably the most satisfying thing I've ever done professionally as well, because you get a chance to watch young men really grow. I mean, our first year we were 0-10, and we played with a number of of, uh, of of freshmen, a handful of sophomores, and that was about it. And we played a varsity schedule against teams like GAC and Dawson County and Denmark and some people that were just much further along than we are than we were at the time. And, um, and then four years later, you get to see those same kids that started as freshmen uh, that got beat up on go 10 and 0. So, you know, there, there are a lot of yeah. lifelong uh, stories that go along with, with being able to, to work hard and more than anything else, just show up and stay the course. Uh, and that's what those guys did. I, I could echo what Philip said. I mean, we did a lot of things well, but we did a lot of things poorly as well. And it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of figuring things out. The biggest thing starting from scratch was we knew we were going to have to be positive. Uh, we knew we weren't going to have tons of success on the field. Uh, so we understood that what that meant was uh, was celebrating every every victory. And, and a, a victory might be a first down. It might be a, a three and out. And right. a three and out. It, you had to redefine, be, redefine what success meant. Uh, yes, in in every sense, and then um, and now we're on to the next challenge, which is which is how do you how do you how do you handle success? You know, it's easy uh, sometimes. It's easier to teach uh, young men how to deal with uh, adversity. Sometimes it's harder to teach them how to deal with success because they don't they don't see the side effects uh, of of the medicine they're taking when they're drinking that potion of success. So, well, we had Bill Curry on uh, in our 
spring season, and uh, he talked about starting Georgia State uh, football program, and he said he was nine months into the program, and he realized they didn't even have a football in the building. Yeah. <laughs> he said, "He said that's when you know you're starting from uh, from scratch." Um, let me ask you, uh, Tommy, I'll stay with you just for a second, and Philip will come back to you on the next one. But um, you guys both had to coach during the pandemic, and uh, there were some challenges that coaches, teachers, everyone else, but let's talk about it from a coaching standpoint, had never faced before. What were the three or four biggest challenges that you had to deal with as a coach during that time? Yeah, definitely a time like no other. I mean, I could – I can still remember uh, that March when there were people at the very beginning that were starting to talk uh, a little bit about potential closings and that sort of thing. And we never had any idea of what the ramifications would look like uh, down the road. And, um, but then when you start thinking about how it affected, I mean, I can remember when we were able to finally get out and have some workouts that's that summer. I want to say the date was June 7th. I don't quote me on that, but, you know, we were pointing to that date because we could finally get our kids together and we had to have them limited in groups. Uh, Jack, more than anything else, what I remember is just the uncertainty. I mean, it was, it was such an uncertain time uh, and, and out of fear of, of just the unknown, uh, you had to treat everything uh, like it potentially uh, could be disastrous. Um, so, uh, you know, from, from, you didn't know if you were going to have a season. You didn't know if you were going to play on a weekly basis. You had teams reaching out to, to other programs, trying to find games on a Wednesday for a Friday night. Um, it was you didn't know who didn't know who on your team was going to be able to play. Absolutely. I mean, I, I tell the story all the time. You know, we played a we played a second round playoff game, and our uh, and our long snapper was quarantined. You know, at about lunchtime on, on Friday of that second round playoff game. And, uh, and that was tough because we didn't have a long snapper that could go out there and we ended up missing a, a key field goal in that game. And I don't know if that was the difference. There were a lot of other factors that went into that game that could have been the difference, but that's a great example of, of what, not just Cherokee Bluff, but what teams throughout the whole state yeah. were dealing with on that year. Uh, things, things that just, uh, it was just crazy. You had to build a lot of depth. And I think what you saw that year uh, were the teams and the coaches and the programs that were most organized uh, were the were, were the ones that had more success because they had contingency plans. They were prepared. Uh, their staffs were prepared, uh, that sort of thing. That, that makes sense. Uh, Philip, we're, we're kind of winding things down here, but I want to ask you, I'm curious, uh, there's been a lot of changes in being a head coach at the high school level in the last 10 or 12 years. Philip, what do you think have been the most uh, difficult changes or the ones that you've had uh, uh, the biggest challenge adjusting to? That's a good question. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, a lot has changed, but a lot has stayed the same too. I think that, um, I, I do think that um, there's been, um, I think the, the biggest challenge I think is um, I, although I like, I would say that a lot of people would say that it's a big challenge to coach kids because they're a lot different now than they used to be, but I don't really think they are in a lot of ways. Um, and I have some thoughts on that, which would be too long to go into right now. But I think that sometimes, I mean, it still all boils down to relationships. And if you don't, if you don't love kids well, and you don't have relationships with them, then you weren't going to be a good coach, whether that's now or whether that was 50 years ago. Um, and so I think that's where it all starts. Um, I do think that from a, um, from like a personnel standpoint, I do think the game has moved outside, you know, it's been a, 
for so long, you know, at a place like Brookwood, for example, you know, we'd have 30, 40 kids in our offensive line group, you know, and now we're, we're trying to get about 15, you know, right. um, because the game is, the game is spread from inside game to an outside game, especially in Gwinnett County, um, you know, in, in Gwinnett County, the preeminence is placed on athleticism and, um, you know, a lot of kids are, are here because they, um, you know, I think everybody in Gwinnett runs a spread offense and, and if I tried to run Tommy's offense in Gwinnett, about half my players would leave, I think, because we're, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. So I think we have to, you've had a challenge. And, you know, for me, I wouldn't be a good play caller in our offense because that's not the way my brain works and that's not who I am. So we've got a lot of, um, so you've got to just adjust with the, with the times. I think, you know, you look at a guy like Nick Saban who did the same thing in Alabama was associated with smash mouth football for years and years and years. And then he hired Lane Kiffin and, you know, made the necessary adjustments to the way football is today. And it's, it's been a little bit similar at Brookwood. I'm not comparing myself to Nick Saban, but I am saying that we've, um, you kind of have to adjust with the way the game's played and where the priorities of the game are today, that it's a faster game. It's a more athletic game. It's a perimeter game. Um, so that's been a challenge. And I do think that, I do think there is definitely more entitlement um, in, in today's game. So you do have to find a balance, especially in a place like Gwinnett. Um, of, you know, you got to make it about the team, but you also got to make it about them some too. You know, you have to sell them on the team concept and that's the most important thing, but you also have to, <coughs> you also have to explain and help them understand why doing what the team does is important to the individual and how, you know, if the team gets what it gets, then the, then the individual can get what they get too. So well, there's a lot of people, a lot of people getting their ear talking about the the me part of the of the game of the sport right. rather than the team part well you guys are uh, you guys are going to be lucky I, I wanted to each one of you to tell a funny story on each other um, but we're gonna we're kind of up against uh, the wall here on our time uh, so listen guys I just want to tell you it was uh, it was great spending a few minutes uh, with both of you today I, I want to wish you both uh, the best of success this season we're taping this prior to the season starting so uh, both of you are still undefeated, so just keep that up. Keep it going. But glad to have you with us. Thank you, Jack. We we really enjoyed it. Thank you, Jack. You're a longtime friend. You've been good to been good to our family and good to our mm -hmm. programs. And we thank you for all you've done for leadership and for 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 character development uh, in mm -hmm. and around our state and beyond. And um, just uh, keep keep it on, brother. We we love you. Well, you're kind to say that. Well, as we close out another podcast, I just want to once again encourage each of you to make it your goal this week to be a positive influence in the lives of others. And I look forward to having you back with us next week. Hey, before you go, we wanted to let you know about Jack's book called The Question, a guide to answering life's most important question. In this book, Jack shares his personal journey that began in 1993 to determine the values, principles, and beliefs that would guide his life. Whether you are a spouse, parent, grandparent, friend, leader, educator, coach, or mentor, Jack's I Believe statements apply to all the roles he has played during his lifetime and can do the same for you. Jack's message applies to all people, ages, and careers. It's an easy read with compelling stories, enjoyable humor, and sincere transparency. The question is now available in ebook and paperback exclusively on Amazon. Go to jackwwilliams.com slash the question to learn more and buy your copy today. 
Again, thanks for joining us for this episode and join us next week for an all new episode of Knowledge Cast by Ideals.